0: Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a placement for face-to-face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Thank you, Melanie. Good to be with you this morning. I'd like you to completely ignore the fact that there is a fully functioning Visa card hanging beside me. Just ignore it, don't look at it, don't be fixated on it, don't wonder what the limit is on it, don't uh, think about whose name is attached to it, just completely ignore it and we won't talk about it for a long time. Um, If you could grab your blue envelope for just a moment out of your program, uh, we have been doing something called Missions Month. Two times a year as a church we come to you and we say, is it possible that we could go above and beyond to bless people? Uh, When we do the CTK Blessing, we bless people within our own community right here that are encountering unbelief believable medical challenges. And so, uh, and this year you responded again in unprecedented ways. And then during the month of March, we come to you and we speak about the fact that we have a responsibility as a church to, to minister in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So we take very seriously our charge as a church that has been blessed in order to be a blessing to people on the other side of the world. I got asked a question last week, and I think it's a very valid question that needs to be answered. Grant, why is it so important for us to build a playground on the other side of the world in Sicily, when there are neighborhoods right here in Bellingham that could use exactly the same type of resource? I think that's a valid question, and I think it's one that should be answered. And I would answer it this way. All around the world, there is equal need, but there's not equal access let's just be honest, in different parts of the world, accessing the gospel or accessing people that know Jesus is a much more difficult task. And so for us, it may be just playground equipment, but to the kids in Sicily who are the children of refugees, it's a safe enclosed area where they can play without having to worry about being kidnapped off of the street corner and being sold into human trafficking, which is their reality every single day. When my wife and I were in, in Catania we saw children being bought and sold on street corners, and we can do something about that so whether it's the church planting uh, project in Thailand or whether it's the work that we're doing in Sicily, this is an opportunity for those of us who've been so amply blessed to be a blessing and to to provide not only So that we can actually look at the fact that there is equal need, but now we can be a part of equal access as well. And so we've got one more week left in the missions offering. It's not between me and you, it's between you and Jesus and my prayers that we'll just be joyfully generous as a church one more time. As you continue to ignore the credit card that's hanging to my left, I would like to think that I could never learn anything from a New England patriot, okay? (laughs) Amen. Exactly. 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 But I'm going to give it my best shot. Tom Brady is arguably the greatest quarterback in NFL history with six Super Bowl rings. It's hard to argue that fact, okay? It's hard to argue that fact. Oh, wow, okay. (laughs) Lord Jesus, forgive them. Um, (laughs) After Tom Brady won his third Super Bowl ring with apparently his perfect world altogether, he was interviewed by 60 Minutes. Now, this is a man who last week purchased a vehicle that's worth three times what my house is worth, okay? But after he won his third Super Bowl, he sat down with an interviewer from 60 Minutes, and he said this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I I reached my goal, my dream, my life, and me, I I think, God, it's gotta be more than this. I mean this this isn't this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Steve Croft the interviewer said, "Tom, what's the answer?" And Tom Brady with all of his resources replied, "I wish I knew." I wish I knew. He's got it all, but in his mind, he's still searching for something in his mind. There's still no satisfaction, no passion, no closure, no reason for any of it, and he's not alone. A thousand years before Jesus was born, King Solomon, a man who had everything available to him, was in exactly the same spot. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4, Solomon speaks, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of a man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my work, and this was the reward for all of my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon, the richest man in world history at this point, looks at everything that he's done and says, it's not worth anything to me. I got a full wallet and an empty heart. Solomon's name means peaceful. During his reign, Israel knew peace and prosperity in a way that defies imagination. There is a a, a historical journal that says everything that Solomon touched didn't turn to gold because it already was. He had it all. He accumulated everything his heart desired, and yet his heart was unbelievably empty. Why? It's because of a very simple truth that I'm going to take my best stab at for the last time this weekend in this series called Entrusted. It's a simple truth. You can have a life full of stuff and still die with an empty heart. Here's the painful truth. Solomon had an empire, but he didn't do what God asked him to do. God wrote out the standards for the king of Jerusalem in the book of Deuteronomy and Solomon disobeyed and disregarded Almost all of them. Second Chronicles 9 says Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horses. And some of you are just like, what's the big deal, Grant? He's a horse lover. There's nothing wrong with it unless you read Deuteronomy 17, 17 verse 16, where God says the king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself. Chronicles tells us in chapter 9 that Solomon made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. It says in one year, Solomon accumulated 666 talents of gold. That's 25 tons. And you go, so he's a financial whiz. What's the big deal? No big deal unless you read Deuteronomy 17, 17, where God said the king must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. First Kings 11 says, Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 mistresses. Wow. Wow. Deuteronomy 17, God said he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And that's on top of that little commandment that says thou shalt not commit adultery, right? Solomon is financially wealthy, but he is absolutely destitute in his heart because he invested in the wrong kind of value. I introduced this little phrase a couple weeks ago, trust the source, not the resource. When you trust the source, not the resource, you don't make this kind of wrong, eternal investment. I just kind of try, I tried to restate the purpose of the series as we wrap it up this week. It's this. The purpose of teaching stewardship is not to get your money. I've said it every single week. It's not to get your money. It's to make sure that your money doesn't get you. Andy Stanley puts it this way. Here's eight ways to know if your money has you. If you spend more than you make each month, your money has you. If you spend as much as you make each month, your money has you. If you don't know what you spend each month, your money has you. If you have to sacrifice your tithe to make ends meet, your money has you. If you're making financial decisions without your spouse knowing about it, your money has you. If you're buying groceries on credit because you have to, your money has you. If you're only paying your minimum balances each month, your money has you. If you are dreading a series on stewardship, your money has you. There's one key stewardship question that's got to be answered today. It's what do I value? What do I value? I can tell you this. I value my wife because she's the one human being in the world who doesn't buy what I'm selling and tells me the truth 100% of the time sometimes i don't like it but i value her i value my kids i got to see them both this weekend they both still look like me you should pray for them okay <laughs> i love my kids it's just fun to be around them i value this church because it allow pastors to be people too i think that's kind of a big deal I value moral purity because of the pain that moral indiscretion has caused in this very church family. It's the reason why I never carry cash and I'm accountable for every single penny in our family because I think it's worth the cost. I value God because He first loved me. And while I never understand that, I'm just so unbelievably thankful. Because I value God, I think it's important to value the Bible, which is God's letter to us. And if I truly value God and His Word, I should be able to read it and know what it says and be willing to do whatever it is that God asks me to do because I know something. In the Bible, God told me that nothing will compete for my attention more than this little piece of plastic. Nothing will try and get my attention more. Some of you are staring at it. It's just like you're being very sleepy. We're fixated on it. I was going to put cash up here, but most of us don't even use cash anymore. It's just plastic. This will compete for my attention more than anything else on the face of this planet. And so my question is, do I value God more than that? Let's talk about one more value. It's highly important. It's the value of contentment. The value of contentment. When I say contentment, I'm not talking about settling. Settling. Okay, some people think contentment happens when we come to this place in our life where we go, oh, this is just going to be as good as it is, so I might as well just settle. That's not the kind of contentment we're talking about. People who are content have answered the ultimate value questions. They can make statements in their own heart. They will say, without apology, I acknowledge none of this stuff is my stuff. It's all God's stuff, and I'm simply a steward of his stuff. He loaned it to me, and I understand something about stuff. If you invest yourself in stuff, you're going to end up absolutely empty because at the end of time, when God comes back and judges everything, all the things that we think are valuable, they're going to turn to ash. When are we going to learn it's all going to burn? There's going to be nothing left to say, but Lord, take me home. When you are able to make good value judgments, you can say, I've chosen God as the king of all stuff, mine included. I'm going to invest myself in the three things that he says will last forever. God, people, and his word. I'm going to do what God's word says, even when it makes me uncomfortable, even when it pressures me from all sides. I'm going to choose to allow Jesus to be the only thing that makes me content. That's contentment. Contentment's not about getting what you want. It's about being satisfied with what God has entrusted to you. Which I think should lead us to a question. Why should I value contentment? Why is this such a big deal for followers of Jesus? What are the secrets in order to unlock contentment in my life? Well, I think the Bible has a lot to say about this, but I'm going to limit it down to three because that's what pastors do. We always do things in threes. I don't know why. Okay, all right, number one. And ten people know when to say enough. I mean, Solomon was the richest man in human history when he wrote these words in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. I mean, is that, does that not sound like it was written in our modern context? We all want more. We're addicted to more people who are spiritually mature are willing to say, I'm good. Enough. Enough. I mean, what's the most common solution to money problems in our world today? I I think there's two of them, but I can prove it to you statistically. One is, the solution is, I'll just go out and borrow some more. The second solution is, I'll just go out and somehow make more. I'll take on a second job. I'll work overtime. I'll forget my family. As long as I have more, everything is going to turn out fine. I mean, when was the last time that somebody showed up and said, I really, really need to get this thing under control? And their first thought was, I'm going to cut back. That's not the way our culture is oriented anymore. It's like, no, i got to go find another source. No, I mean, the thought of... I'm going to have to reduce my coffee intake in order to make ends meet. (gasps) I'm going to have to shrink my expanded cable package. Ah! Solomon said someone who's constantly chasing and never satisfied will never, ever, ever be content. Content people know when to say, okay, enough's enough. I've got enough. Secondly, content people know that contentment comes from the inside out, not the outside in. Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul is going to weigh in now. Philippians chapter 4, famous verses from Scripture. Paul says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. And just so we're clear, I'm not saying this because God needs your money. I'm not saying this because CTK is in a financial bind. I'm not saying this because Grant Fishbook needs something, Okay. Just like Paul, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You may want to underline verse 13. We're going to come back to the context of that in just a second. But these verses from Philippians chapter 4, they actually provide a character sketch of people who are content. Let me tell you something about content people. Content people avoid comparisons. Have you ever noticed that in your eyes, in a natural way, that everybody seems to have it better than you do? I mean, everybody just seems to be a little bit better off. You know why that is? It's because it's human nature to compare up. We rarely ever compare down. It'll do damage in both directions. That's why scripture says you just shouldn't compare at all. But content people know the trap of comparison. So just don't compare. And Paul, in verse 11, just tells us exactly how to do that. He says you just need to be content in your situation. Now comparing and being informed are two completely different things. So let me inform you about a couple of facts. I want you to do something very quickly. I want you to put a dollar amount on all of the things that you're wearing. Okay? This is a little difficult for me because I'm a Black Friday shopper once a year, right? I go out there and I get, so it's like 25 bucks, Macy's, good Black Friday shoes, right? Okay. But let's just say we just assign ourselves a little bit. So, you know, whatever you got, you got $50 jeans on, you got a, you got, I don't know, $100 jacket on. Some of you are wearing a wedding ring. My wedding ring is actually made of plastic. You can squish it. Um, It's $1.25 and and it does not represent the value of my marriage. I just used to wear a gold ring and then I wore a tungsten ring and I got tired of whacking myself in the forehead with it all of the time. I don't know why, but so Laurel bought me a safe one for, it's, it's. It's childproof. I don't know what else to tell you, okay? But let's just say I added it up. Let's just say I added it up and I come out with somewhere, most of us in this room, believe it or not, you're wearing somewhere between like $300 and $500 worth of clothing. Do you know that on your body right now, you're wearing more than the value of what 50% of the world makes in a year? Oh, for perspective, I know it's almost impossible to live on $24,000 a year in Whatcom County, but I'm going to tell you this. If you're making $24,000 a year, you're wealthier than 90% of the people on the face of the planet. Content people don't compare because they understand how much God has blessed them, and they understand that if we've been blessed, we should be a blessing because to whom much has been given, much will be required. Secondly, content people adjust to change. Paul describes his life here. He goes, I know what it feels like to be stuffed and starving. I know what it feels like to have a lot and to have a little. Paul knows life is full of changes and he had to find values that would override the greatest of changes, the peaks and the valleys. He found a place to be content in the midst of all of it. Dr. Reinhold Neighbor once scrawled a prayer on a piece of paper. He was overwhelmed with his personal situation. Wrote out a prayer, actually crumpled it up, threw it in a garbage can. A friend of his went and rescued it. And that prayer has ministered to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Some of you will recognize it. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Most of us stop there. Let's keep going. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. Taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next And all God's people said, it's about an eternal perspective. It's not about investing everything right here, right now, because this is temporary. Paul adjusted to the constant changes of life because he found that he had Jesus all of the time, whether he had a lot, whether he had a little, whether he was starving, whether he was stuffed, he had Jesus consistently. Thirdly, content people apply God's power. You know, it's interesting to me, but I'm going to quote to you a verse that I think is taken out of context more than any other verse in Scripture. It's the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's be honest. That's the Christian Rocky theme, right? We put it on t-shirts. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to go out for a run. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and pursue this thing or that thing. And we're just like, that is, that's it, man. I'm going to put it on the shirt. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't it interesting that that verse was written in the context of personal finances? When was the last time you applied that verse to your personal financial situation? If the markets crash and I lose everything, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If the big earthquake comes tomorrow and flattens all of our houses, and then a wind kicks up and blows it all away, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If my boss is a jerk and I want to quit, but I don't even know what I'm going to next, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If my stock falls through the floor, I can do all things. If I get fired for following my convictions because I want to serve Jesus more than I want to serve a person, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I show up on a Sunday morning at 9.30 and I have to admit to myself, my, honey, my, my money owns me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens Nothing will compete for your attention with contentment more than a piece of plastic that makes promises it can't keep. But to get this under control, I'd like to give you some encouragement from Scripture. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and he wants you to take a knee to him as the king of kings, not a piece of plastic. Let's wrap up with this. Content people know the traps of financial independence. All through scripture, we've been hearing the warnings, right? All through the series. I know some of you are tired of it. I get it. I'm looking forward to turning the corner too as we head towards Easter. But all the way through, God's been warning us all the way back in Genesis and Exodus, don't have any other gods before me. Solomon's telling people you can, you can work every day of your life and scrimp and save, but in the end, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. Jesus builds on that and says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He also said, remember from week one, you can't serve God money. Then Paul presses in even deeper and he warns us that this kind of contentment, comes from the inside out, not the outside in. And then we see Paul talking to his protege, Timothy. And he sums up all of his feelings in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He's talking to a young man, giving him wisdom, saying, this is how I want you to live your life. And he says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. We have food and clothing. We'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You'll notice it's the love of money. There is nothing wrong with working hard and being rewarded. In fact, the Bible says you're supposed to enjoy God's blessing, not feel guilty for it. It's the love of money. It's when it becomes an idol. It's when you become obsessed with it. That's when everything changes the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I spend a lot of time with pastors. Many of them are discouraged. They're doing the best they can to work for the kingdom, but sometimes it's just hard and difficult work. And I started paying attention to something over the last 30 years. As soon as a pastor says the word some people, I know their heart's broken. Some people think that I preach Jesus too much. Some people are, are, they, they think I'm just too hard on them. Some people don't come to church here anymore. Some, some some people disagree with my leadership style. You just hear it from pastors over and over and over again. As soon as they say some people, I know they're talking from a broken heart. And listen to Paul speak here. He says, "Some people eager for money have actually wandered from their faith." And I'm sure he had a series of faces and names that were just flashing through his mind. He's heartbroken because of this. He's saying they chucked their faith for a piece of plastic, modern context. They've pierced themselves with many griefs. They chose a different kind of pain because they wouldn't follow Jesus. That word pierced is used one time in the New Testament, one time. The Greek language is very, very visual. And so I want you to picture this. I'll I'll describe it as best I can. When it says they pierced themselves with many griefs because they chose money over God, this is the picture. Picture a a three-inch thorn made out of steel with one end sharpened to the point where you could draw blood with pricking your finger. And then I want you to picture someone rolling that thorn back and forth inside of their fingers. And then they put it up against a doorpost with the sharp end pointing out, stick their thumb on the end of it, think about it for a second, and then drive it right through the center of their thumb. That's the picture Paul says. The word literally means to put yourself on a roasting spit. Paul saying, for the sake of a few bucks... People that I know and love have willfully impaled themselves on a roasting stick and now are burning because they chose something to value other than God. He says they're dying because they refused to be content. As we wrap this up, I'll give you one more piece. When I look at contentment and all of these different pieces, I have to talk about the giving style of God. Because after all, he's the standard, right? Let me tell you something about this as we turn now towards Easter and Good Friday and thinking about the great price that Jesus paid and the incredible victory that he won. I want to remind you that that is a beautiful reflection of God's giving style. When God gave, God gave sacrificially. I mean, imagine being asked to give your child to pay a price for a crime he didn't commit with absolutely no guarantee that the sacrifice would even be accepted by the person whose sentence was being fulfilled. In the Old Testament law, it demanded blood to be spilled to cover sin, and Jesus became that spotless land, and he so fulfilled the promise and the desire to have that debt wiped away. He did it so fully and completely that it never, ever had to happen again. When we come together during Easter, we remember when God gave, he sacrificed. It hurt. He felt something. Why? Because he valued you. Because he valued me. When he gave, he gave sacrificially. Secondly, when he gave, he gave completely. I mean, it took completely de- complete devotion for God the Father to send Jesus, his son. There was no wavering or wondering God is completely devoted to finding a way to bridge the gap between sinful people and a holy God. So he held nothing back. Even while his own son was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God held nothing back. Why? Because he values you. And thirdly, when God gave, he gave ultimately the best he had to offer. His most precious son, just so that you and I would have an opportunity to value that sacrifice and not get focused on this temporary life, but to focus on the eternal one to follow. The Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He let created human beings spit and mock his own son. He held back his hand when Jesus said, Father, forgive him don't know what they're doing. Jesus gave all of himself ultimately so that we could choose to value him. The question is, what are we going to do with that opportunity? So there it is. Let me tell you something about this card. Uh, This card is a representation of a sacred trust. This is the card that I am privileged and honored to carry with me as a representative of Christ the King Community Church, and I use it for ministry, because ministry actually costs money, believe it or not. Um, There is high accountability attached to this card. There is a demanding of an accounting to the penny from a young lady by the name of Victoria who is sitting in this service right this second. It represents your sacred trust. And you need to know that we demand the highest levels of accountability for our pastors and ministry directors because everything that you give was not given to us, it was given to Jesus. And one day, even more than giving an accounting to the financial department in Christ the King Church, I will give an account to Jesus as to how I used his resources That's a big deal. This card has always bugged me. And let me tell you why it bugs me. It's because down here at the bottom, um, it says my name, Grant Fishbook. And then underneath of it, because of a corporate thing, and I'm not sure why we can't change it. I've asked for it to be changed. Apparently, we can't. But underneath of my name, it says Christ the King. I've actually paid for things with this cart and had people look at it and go, wow, just a little full of yourself, (laughs) huh? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I'd really like it if it just said like CTK Church or something like that. Victoria, can we do something? No, we can't. I know. I've asked. But but what bothers me is, is whose name's on top. You want to boil stewardship down? It's simple. You get your name under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You realize this is all about him. It's all his. And we are simply stewards. So just like you have challenges, I have challenges. One of my challenges every day is to get my name underneath of the title Christ the King. Because when we all get to heaven, his name is the only name that's going to matter. Why do we struggle with this stuff? I'll tell you why. It's fear. It's fear. We're afraid we're not going to have enough. We're afraid God's not going to keep his promise. We just get afraid. And I understand that. Which is why we're going to bring our service to conclusion today. By telling the devil we're no longer slaves to fear. Because I am, you are a child of God. Which means we don't take a knee to pieces of plastic that make promises that it can't keep. We trust in a God who said, test me in this, give it your best shot, just see whether or not I don't take care of you. So we're gonna pray. The worship team is gonna come and join me. And we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. So would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. They have been unbelievably patient the last three weeks. and I thank you for their love and their care with regards to a difficult topic that's easily misunderstood. God, today may we choose to participate with you in this moment of obedience and lordship when we place our name and everything that we have under your name as we choose, as we choose to no longer be a slave to a piece of plastic that makes unfulfilled promises. God, we want to declare today that that we would rather choose our identity in you than in a stock portfolio or a retirement plan or an unbalanced checkbook. God, we want to take a knee to your lordship today and we want to be changed. We want to do this right because one day the name that is above every other name will be worshipped. So God, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.